1: Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. this is the Rob Black Show.
2: Talking about how the financial industry works, I think is really important, because I think we're all pretty naive, and I'm not talking about the 20-year-olds, I'm talking about some of us who are 50-plus. I meet grown men, and sometimes you'll hear funny things in sports where you're like, yeah, that's a grown-class man. He's a grown class. Like, and you could drop a couple of letters there and figure out what I'm going at. Like, how can he be, how can he be that stupid? It's pretty easy. I know a man who just recently bought a home who's 50 plus. And when he was buying the home, he didn't bother to get a <clears throat> qualified. Someone said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be able to help you. So he didn't really have this idea of how much he was going to be able to afford. They didn't know each other's, uh, the lender didn't know how much he made. But the lender didn't know his credit history, his credit score, his spouse's credit score. This grown man went into a purchase of a home with the last thing to do lining up his mortgage. Put an offer on to buy. The real estate agents didn't even check with a lender. I mean, the amount of mistakes going on there was crazy. I had said to him numerous times over adult cocktails, beverages. Hey, if you ever need any help in financial issues, like I know a whole team of people are going to help. Like I, I knew him and his wife were looking for a house and they're friends of ours. They're moving out of our county and it was kind of sad. But at the same time, I know people are going to get stuff done pretty fast, usually. It's good having a financial team. Financial teams help you enormously in your life. I've got an accountant, no, not an accountant, excuse me. I've got a CPA, which I guess is an accountant, right? But think of it more as taxes. I'm not having someone run my business numbers because I don't have a business that I'm directing anymore. I'm now an employee of EB Wealth <laughs> After 20, 25 years of building a business and running the numbers, I wanted to cash out. So who else should be on your financial team? a good mortgage lender. I've used Tony Mendez for the last twenty years on every mortgage I've ever done. I've probably done six or seven, and my last mortgage was at a rate of about two point five percent. Today rates are around five and a half percent. Now, depending on when you listen to the story, this rates could be at five percent. They could be at four and a half. They could be at six. What's important to note is have someone who's on your side who gets to know you. When I have an impulse in mortgages, which never happens, but if I did, he'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is what I need from you. He's like, I already got your driver's license on file, The fact that he was able to probably give me a preferred rate is pretty sweet because I sent businesses away. I don't know if he gave me a preferred rate or if not, or if he just cut some of his fees out of it. My friend goes in by his house, and uh, he's 50 years old, and he, he's he, getting a loan. If you haven't done one in a few years, it's a lot of paperwork. 12 months of statements from your brokerage, 12 months of statements from your uh, bank. You're like, oh, I don't get statements anymore. It's like, so now you got to learn how to log online and go download it. Another person that I would work with, like I said, is a CPA. Um, I don't know all the tax laws. I'm not close to coming out on the show and doing a, a long tax segment. Why? It's a good question why. Because you and I are different. You may have a restaurant that you don't tell me about. You're like, yeah, I make $500,000 a year. I'm like, oh, then you should do this. But you don't tell me that it is an entrepreneur in a small business. A good accountant will get to know you. A good mortgage lender will become your friend over time getting to know you. Um, let's go back to the lender real quick. I like private lenders who can shop banks and brokerages for a loan for you. I've never walked into my bank and said, I'd like to buy a house because like the person who works at the bank, and this is mean for me to say, typically if you're good, you're not at the bank anymore. Typically, if you're good, you've been sucked up and, and pulled into other areas. The people at the bank who sell mutual funds, the people at the bank who sells mortgage loans, I tend to think look like they're 25 in their first job. I want nothing to do with that. So choose a financial advisor um, through studies has shown that it's going to increase your returns from about 1.6 million with no advisor to about 3.4 million with an advisor. I think that's worth the time and effort to say, okay, I could hire someone. I don't have to do it myself. I said on the show numerous times, I got enough money to last till the day I die. And someone dropped me an email and said, hey, I have enough money to last till the day I die. And I'm like, good for you. Like, I want to walk away from this and go on a two-week, three-week, four-week vacation. I never did a sabbatical. I never did anything like that in my work career. I've never been unemployed for any period of time. So, work with a financial professional, when I go... I'm not going to think twice of what's happening back back home. I'm going to unplug. And when there's grandkids, I'm going to unplug. A 2020 Northwestern Mutual study found that 71% of U.S. adults admit their financial planning needs improvement. However, only 29% of Americans work with a financial advisor. The value of working with a financial advisor varies by person to person. And what is or is not a financial planner uh, or financial advisor or a wealth advisor. There's so many stupid names here. It gets confusing. I'm not a fan of LPL Financial. I think I think it's typically, and this is not always, typically, it's a stepping stone into the market. And I don't want a 25, 30-year-old helping you. So I go, nope. They may work for a wonderful company. But like even Fidelity. I think Fidelity's financial planners and Vanguard's advisors that you can get Schwab's that you can work with if you have a certain net worth. In my thought, they would start their own firm instead of working for a factory. Now, again, that's just my own thought. It's a bias. It could be wrong. There could be some lovely people at those firms. I just feel that the motivation for education is better on your own and doing it the company's way. Okay, for instance, I had a friend who became a stockbroker right out of college. And he'd call me up and say, hey, Rob, I can't do stock for you. And he'd give me the sales pitch on. I'm like, okay, mark me down for 400. Wasn't quite like that, but you get the idea. And I'll tell you what, he was dumb as a bag of rocks in college, drank a lot, partied a lot. As a stockbroker, he was dumb as a bag of rocks. He was only allowed to advise what the big firm, Smith Barney, was allowed to, told him. And if he ever did anything outside of it, they would tell him, we're not going to legally represent you if you get sued. So he worked within their recommendations. <clears throat> A recent Vanguard study found out that on average, a hypothetical $500,000 investment would grow over to $3.4 million under the care of a financial advisor over 25 years, whereas the expected value of self-management would be at $1.69 million or 50% less. So I feel okay working with financial professionals. Now, the only financial professional I really like is one that's a fiduciary. By definition, a fiduciary is an individual who's ethically bound to act in your best interest. So they're not going to be putting you into 5%, 6% commission products. They're not going to be putting you into annuities. fiduciary you sure financial advisors must avoid conflicts of interest and disclose any potential conflicts of interest to the client? I think that's a good thing. Another reason why I don't mind working with a financial advisor or maybe another nugget that I'll tell you is don't hire the first one you ever meet. EP Wealth has a team of financial planners. And they're certified financial planners. So certified is going to put into the world that it's, you see that certification, you know that they're fiduciaries. I like that. You can get a lot of information about CFPs at cfp.net. And if your 18-year-old kid were to come to me and say, I'm looking for a career, I'd say strongly consider getting a college degree and then become a certified financial planner. It's a good career, but you don't want to hire the first one you meet. Because ultimately, I my idea to take a sabbatical, he may go, what are you thinking about? Um, second one may go, have really bad breath. I'm like, I'm not going to want to meet with this person every year. Third one may have no teeth. I'm going to be like, oh, lunch is out unless it's mashed potatoes. Whatever reason might turn you off, you should meet with the team. And EP Wealth has financial planners. And if you want, you can meet. That's one of your three that you should interview. You see where I'm going out with this? Um, You should find out if they have any specialties when you meet with them. Uh, Some financial planners are great for small business owners. Some are great for people with high net worth. I've got a high net worth that I'm now doing some income fund placements that aren't available to people on a a street level. But it's it's a very small amount of money. And yet it's something I have access to because of the specialty of the people I'm working with income funds that yield three, four, five percent. Um one minute. They do private placements, things like that. So don't work with a financial planner who has an incompatible strategy with you. If you like stocks and they like index funds, you're going to fight at some point in time. Ask that financial planner in the meeting when you meet with them, whether it's a stockbroker, an LPL, whether it's someone at Schwab or Fidelity, whoever it is, Ask them how they're paid and have them show it to you in writing. Have them show it to you and take it home and keep it. Ask about their credentials. Are they Series 7, Series 6, 6, Series 6, 5? Are they a certified financial planner? The CFP certification is the one that I care about. Um, I wouldn't go with a friend's referral. As gold, I would go with a friend's referral as this is one of the three that I can meet. enter referral to a financial planner, drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. I, I know some CFs.
1: A straightforward approach to managing your money. The Rob Black Show.
0: Invest in what is really important. Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. Are you concerned with financial planning, tax planning, managing your investments, or just planning your retirement? Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. With over $12 billion in assets under management and more than 80 financial professionals at the helm, EP has your financial future in mind. Learn more by visiting robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. It's not lost on me that this week the stock market is waiting
2: to see what some people say out loud, and they're speculating it nonstop on CNBC and Bloomberg Television. The Jackson Hole Symposium looms large. Jerome Powell's going to deliver speech on Friday. And a lot of people talk about what other people are going to do. So why why don't I join that party, so to speak, bring in Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com to talk about what other people are going to do. Mr. O'Hare, what's Mr. Jerome Powell going to do this week? And why do we care?
1: Well, good morning, Rob. Morning. Uh, well, Jerome Powell is, is uh, certainly going to have to acknowledge that inflation uh, remains a problem for the U.S. economy uh, and will – Undoubtedly, uh, offer an indication that the Fed is, is going to continue to raise interest rates, uh, until it's convinced that, uh, the inflation rate is coming, you know, back down considerably closer to its, uh, 2% target. Um, the question I think here on, on the market's mind is whether, uh, the, the chair is going to, uh, provide any type of opening to suggest that maybe the Fed will at least temper the pace of its rate hikes in coming months to allow for the, uh, to you know, to assess how the impact of prior rate hikes are affecting the economy. Uh, and then the, on the other side of it, though, you have Hawks who think that he might just come flat out and say that, you know, we're not at that point yet. We're going to continue to be aggressive to really stamp out inflation.
2: You write every day for briefing.com and oftentimes we are it's it's i find it's not lost in me that it's, it's just odd that we're talking about what is another man going to say on friday but he is really a key central figure in this movie or this this production this show of our economy and uh it's just funny because do you remember when we were talking about what what briefcase Greenspan brought to the fed reserve meetings <laughs> like he was going to raise interest rates based on the briefcase or what time he left it's um we can be a humorous lot can we not in the financial media
1: for sure. For sure. And in this case, I'm always I'm struck now by any time uh, the FOMC, you know, meets and makes a decision. You know, it's always the biggest decision ever for the FOMC or any time Fed Chair Powell gives a speech. It's it's the most important speech of his career. Right. So we keep we keep ratcheting up uh, the importance of every uh, aspect of what the Fed does. Um I, you know, I get why that 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 is the case, because uh, there's such a central figure in terms of the functioning of the financial markets and and how their uh, monetary policy dictates uh, certainly the stock market and treasury markets reactions. And um, but it is a bit amusing to me in that respect that you know um, everything is always the most important uh, yeah. thing we've ever heard, um, and we need to you know it'll be a good day when we kind of like get back to a period where that is not the case and it's just a fed meeting and it's right. just the fed chair giving a speech
2: i've got some friends who are from europe and when they come to visit the united states they're always surprised by how much coverage we do of the nfl they're like back in the back in england we don't talk about manchester united one-tenth this much as you talk about the nfl in between games uh, we just like to speculate we like to to talk we like to create stories but there has to be more it's patrick o'hare with briefing.com in your page one column uh you really covered the earning season pretty well how do you feel we are or how do you feel where we are coming out of earning season and where we're going
1: well, I think, you know, coming out of this earnings season, there's a, pretty much a prevailing view that things were, were better than feared. Um, okay. Now, that's not to say that they they were good, necessarily. We still did have positive EPS growth for the S&P 500 uh, of around close just over 6%. I think, um, you know, that was driven – Predominantly, well, frankly, entirely by the energy sector, which contributed about ten percentage points to that growth rate. So you take out energy, and you actually have, um, you know, negative EPS growth in the second quarter. And and I think that that's somewhat indicative of, of, of where we are going. Um, you know, there's a lot of writing on the wall that suggests to us that uh, the economic, you know, environment is going to be more challenging now in coming months. And with that, we should see uh, more difficulties in terms of achieving stronger earnings growth and so we expect those uh earnings estimates to continue to track lower okay uh, likely to hear more more warnings in coming coming weeks and months uh and uh you know we have to be on the lookout really for i think a proper recession uh, moving into 2023
2: um the timing is always we want it to move a little bit faster than it actually does but i think you make a good point um, there was a Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, survey not that long ago that said, we've had 15 of the greatest low interest rate years ever in, for the stock market, great environment. And they said, be prepared for 15 years of higher interest rates. Are you looking at it that kind of midterm? Because I know we focus a lot on the short term. Are we now in a new transition or a new market where we're more moderately priced, higher priced interest rates will affect the economy for a longer period of time?
1: Well, you know, relative to where they were, they're higher, but, you know, we're still below what kind of average used to be. So uh, it is a different environment uh, and we should uh, uh, really, you know, be thinking that, Interest rates are moving more toward a normalization uh, range, Um, but we certainly have a lot more debt outstanding. We're still running, you know, large fiscal deficits, Um, you know, so uh, and you have a Fed that is, you know, sitting on an $8 trillion plus balance sheet that it's, you know, stated that it wants to, you know, whittle down to a more reasonable level. And so um, so there's certainly – uh, a good enough underlying basis to think that the interest rate environment is going to be higher and, and different than what we've seen over the last 15 years. And and frankly, I think that should be something we should really kind of want because, you know, the last 15 years have been, well, challenging in a lot of respects and not necessarily, uh, you know, in, in a good way between the housing crisis and the, you know, the COVID pandemic and, you know, the embrace of quantitative easing and, and, and whatnot. Um, and so, you know, moving to a normal period, normal area is, is, is progress, but it is something we'll have to get our minds around and adjust to. And that's why I think we're seeing certainly in the housing sector right now, you know, it's a difficult adjustment because, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, uh, a, Attractive financing rates for an extended period here that's made home ownership more affordable, but now with the rapid adjustment in, in mortgage rates, uh, that's not the case anymore and so we're just going to have to settle in here and realize that you know mortgage rates probably are going to stay stickier at higher levels for for an extended period.
2: And by saying mortgage rate or not interest rates are gonna stay stickier, you're probably implying that inflation is gonna be a little bit higher than we want for a more longer period of time. So it's it's a lot to really process into your portfolios and into your mindset as you approach retirement. What else are you working on, Mr. O'Hare at briefing.com, that we could look forward to in your upcoming structures of writing, including the big picture on Fridays?
1: Right. Well well, I think importantly what we did work on more recently was an updated market view. Um, which effectively just made the case uh, that, you know, while we had a really nice move off those mid-June lows, uh, it didn't have a whole lot of fundamental support behind it. Um, And there's a lot of fundamental support factors, you know, that are still lacking. And, and, you know, that in particular being, you know, the fact that, you know, earnings estimates are, are we think, still too high. Uh, The stock market, Needs the Fed to be on its side, really, and and the Fed is not there yet. You know, inflation is still far too high. It needs to come down a lot more. Uh, We need more energy price relief. And, you know, it's nice to see what we've seen recently at the gas pumps, but it's not enough, and especially when you look at what's going on with natural gas prices and and, uh, what we heard even out of Bloomberg this morning in terms of the difficulties a lot of U.S. households are having in paying their utility bills. So we've got a lot of issues out there that uh, need to need improvement to, to see a sustained breakout here in the, in the S&P 500. Um, but, um, you know, so that's one thing I'm working on. And then, uh, in all likelihood, you know, I'll, I'll feel obligated and, and to have to write something about what Fed Chair Powell says on Friday. Uh, that is certainly the, the topic of the week. And, you know, we like to keep our, our subscribers certainly, uh, Uh, up-to-date and in touch with the main market-moving points, and uh, there's no way we we can do that without uh, talking about what the Fed chair says this Friday.
2: Thank you very much for being with us. That's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com, a reliable source of domestic and international news. I've been using the service for 20-plus years. I really enjoy Patrick O'Hare, and I think he brings a nice perspective, a very understandable perspective to the markets and what's happening and why um we're not always right but we always have thoughts on it thanks very much mr o'hare moving on some other thoughts to think about as we go into break it is really all about friday with the tone in the market but that doesn't mean we can't find some things to to look at and and pick at um while we're getting there the housing market is not very liquid. It takes time to buy and sell a home. You can't say, I'm in. It's, it's gotten a lot faster. But it's not as liquid. So we look at the data on month-to-month basis. So we're looking for more trends. Home prices declined 7 tenths of 1% from June to July, the first month of decline in nearly three years. While the drop may seem small, it's the largest single month lead decline in prices since January 2011. It's the second worst July since 1991 Again, July hot home selling time as parents want to get settled in before the school season starts back up. The sharp and fast rise in mortgage rates really seem to cause the most headway for the pricey housing market, but home affordability is starting to get a little bit of a crack in it. It's a good thing, not a bad thing if you don't own a home. I'm Rob Black, talking to all things financial.
1: Brought to you by EP Wealth.
3: This is the Rob Black Show.
2: I don't want to get too dramatic here. I get why some people hate the stock market. You can take a look at Peloton and go, I hate you. You're manipulative. You're in my head of, I love you, I love you not. Two years ago, you could do no wrong with that one. You looked like a genius. And then the pandemic started to see cracks. People got tired of wearing masks. People got tired of Fauci. People got angry with one another. People would make fun of people. Me and my son were wearing a mask in a gas station, or a redneck hillbilly said, Oh, look, it's Halloween. And I, I threatened to fight the guy. <laughs> I said, You're going to say that in front of my kid? Say, it to me. And, and he went. Um, so Peloton, I get, came from a very charged era of passion. And people got behind the investment. And then things started going bad as, as, as the frustrations of the pandemic were, you know, going through various cycles. You heard celebrities like Howard Sterns talk about his Peloton and how he loved it and how the... Uh, in his his very Howard Stern kind of way, how the instructors are so hot. So Peloton's like, we got hot instructors. So they started as a subscription service where you sign up for classes. And if you want the best classes, you pay a monthly fee. Um, And we felt like that's fine because we're not paying a gym. I've never got a Peloton. I'm one of those people who I'm pretty darn sure any exercise equipment that I purchase for my home is going to turn into... I need someone to come pick up this piece of junk and take it out of my home. But yesterday the stock was up 20%. Today it's down 20%. And if that won't make you crazy, I, I, I get why people get crazy with stocks. It almost seems like, did they throw down that announcement that they're going to sell on Amazon a day before they throw down the announcement that things are horrible at the company? And let me give you an idea of how not horrible, but is the sixth straight, six successive, or the six straight, or the sixth consecutive quarter of reported losses? Does that sound like something you want to invest in? Hey Joe, I got a company that's great for you.
0: Yeah, tell me all about
2: it. Oh, they've lost money for six quarters in a row. I'm like, nope. Nope. Uh, the market for connected fitness is challenging for the foreseeable future as consumer demand for at-home equ- equipment workout machines are waning. It's interesting because I'm actually considering one and I could probably get 50, 60, 70 percent off a slightly used because I know you got it and didn't use it. Peloton raised membership fees Listen, okay, so here's the the operational that tells me I'm not going to say they're in trouble but listen to the list of what's happened with the company in the last six quarters. They raised membership fees. They hiked prices on equipment. They laid off off thousands of workers. They tested a rental option. They exited the last mile delivery. They transferred all production over to third parties. Now, what's interesting about that, those are all positive, and yet it sounds like the company is in a mess. The exiting the last mile... Takes out costs on their side. The hiking prices on some equipment means not losing as much. And it's some equipment, not all equipment. So they're trying to figure out what people want and make that the more expensive. Laying off thousands of workers after you hire thousands of workers due to the excitement. That's a big way of saving money. But it is a mess of a company right now. Yesterday they said they're going to start selling a portion of its products on Amazon its first such deal with another retailer. That will help, but Amazon's going to get a cut, right? The only thing that I saw in that earnings call yesterday was that they had a quarter. It was the first time the higher margin subscription revenue accounted for the majority of sales. If Apple were ever to get out of the hardware business, or let's say the government says you have to sell off your your services, your Apple TV, your fixing iPhones, your storing of people's memories and all their data online. It would unlock a lot of value. If Apple were to say, you know, um, we're going to make our own phones, we're not going to outsource them. That would be very expensive. Outsourcing, you don't have to buy the equipment. Companies like uh, ASMLF, uh, Taiwan Semiconductor, the whole semiconductor equipment, semiconductor equipment manufacturing uh, is a whole industry for companies who have great products like Apple who don't want to make them themselves. I'm surprised Peloton never wanted to make the Peloton themselves because they're pretty high quality machines. When you can get a company from China to, to make them and manufacture them for you. There's a lot going on in this press release. And to me, a stock that's up 20% one day, down 20% the next, it's not what I want. It's too dramatic. Jobless claims dipped below 250,000. A little bit of economic data there. This is important because jobs are creating inflation right now. And we're not losing enough jobs fast enough to see a significant dip in the unemployment rate. So the Federal Reserve knows that people have paychecks and they know inflation's high. They could probably assume people are going to spend their paychecks. It's an interesting damnation game. So my opinion on Peloton so you now, just taking a look at a chart, I want to finish this and then I, I kind of want to wash my hands of it and, and go away. If you're to take a look at it on a six-month basis, it's near the bottom, so the stock market's had a pretty good correction in twenty twenty two. If you were to take a look at it on a one month basis since a market rally started, you can see that it, it's it's done quite nicely, going from about eight seventy, its bottom, up to about almost eleven dollars. Before yesterday, it was thirteen. Now it's back to eleven. I I see why people want to be traders. It does look interesting, not in the short term, but in the midterm. Again, I don't trade stocks, so take that for what it's worth. Um, Other stories of note today that we probably need to hit. I hit the student loan forgiveness, but I want to say it one more time. If you have a federal student loan, Today is a good day, or maybe this weekend is a good day to go figure out, hey, do I qualify for this in any way, shape, or form? Um, It's a government program, and it always stinks when you're offered something and you turn it down because you don't care enough to look it up. I see that a lot as a guy who looks at other people's finances. I'm like, hey, why didn't you take this tax deduction? Or, oh, uh, you know, you can do this and that. I'm like, oh, I just don't want to do it. It, it, Being lethargic and being passive is not necessarily in your best interest. So the website is studentaid.gov. That's studentaid.gov. Snowflake shares are popping big time on a revenue beat. Snowflake is a cloud data platform provider. And it's an absolute winner right now. Shares are up 20%. They reported $497 million in revenue for the quarter, more than $467 million expected. Revenue grew 83%, so that you would probably call that uh, hyper growth. There's hyper growth, there's growth, there's growth at in income, and then there's income in my mind. This is a hyper growth kind of company. The results are being quoted as exceptionally good. So I don't need to expand my um, player card of tech stocks to own, but that's an exceptional quarter. So I'm gonna take a look and see how it's done in the last year, in the last six months. And since it became an IPO. So when I take a look at it on a one-day basis, I learn nothing. When I take a look at it on a six-month basis, um, it was sky high as a stock. As high as 250. Today, it's 193. So it's down on a six-month basis. When I take a look at it on a one-year basis, it's all-time high before the stock market went into 2022. It was at $401, so it's 50% off its all-time highs. Now, one year ago, we were willing to pay premiums for hyper-growth companies. Today, we're going to say 50% less. Their platform supports a multi-cloud strategy, including cross-cloud approach to mix and match clouds its platforms unifies data and supports a variety of workloads including data warehousing data lakes data engineering data science data applications data development data sharing who knew there was all these kind of datas right it is a tech company that if you and i decide to spend 5 hours to understand we will probably just be scratching the surface if i already tell you what it really does is it provides a frictionless frictionless and Governed data access so users can securely share data inside and outside their organizations. You're like, okay, that makes a little more sense. But it's a rock star. Is it at a discount for the long term for, for a hyper growth company? It depends on if it love ever comes back to hyper growth. Yeah, it would be. But the phase we're on right now is not to pay premiums for hyper growth. But they got hyper growth. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more.
3: The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP
1: Wealth. Learn more about EP's unique approach to managing wealth at robblackshow.com.
2: Welcome into EP Wealth Investors' informed investor market out update or outlook. I guess it could be both at times. We're talking with CFP and CFA Director of Portfolio Strategy, Adam Phillips. I'm Rob Black. Let's do a quick report card as we're into August pretty deep and the year is starting to wrap up. The NASDAQ's down 18.7% for the year. The S&P 500 down 11.2%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 7.2%. This is all before dividends. And oil is around $90 a barrel, up 19% for the year. So that's where the inflation is primarily coming from for a lot of people, but it's really widespread, and that's the story of the year. Last week, we had a bit of stock slump. Last week, we had a bit of a stock slump. For some reason, that's tough for me to say, but we're up 15% from our summertime lows. Let's bring in Adam Phillips to talk a little bit about this. Adam
3: yeah, thanks, Robin. I, I can't believe we're already so late in the year. Uh, you, you mentioned that, but that's, yeah, it still blows my mind. But yeah, I mean, let's talk about where we are with the stock market. Obviously, we've seen a pretty nice rebound here off the lows from mid-June. Uh, in the last few days, we've given some of that back. I, I think we're uh, you know, looking at where things stand today. Today's another, uh, so far, we'll see where we close, but another uh, risk off day for the market. So we're down about 4% um, from this high that we uh, we, we reached last week. Um, so we're giving a little bit of it back. You know, I I, I think our our view has been that uh, maybe we weren't quite out of the woods yet. We certainly, you know, hope for the best, but you expect the worst. I, I think we acknowledge that a lot of the uh, questions that we have remain unanswered. I think if you look, um, we, we know the bear market rallies uh, are, you know, that, that that's what you typically see, right, is you get these, these head fakes. I don't, I'm not going to say a dead cat bounce. I know we don't like that. Phrase.
2: It's, it's fine to say it,
3: <laughs> but, but you get these head fakes, right. And, and so you see the market rebound quite a bit. Um, and then you see uh, that uh, maybe that was premature. Uh, maybe there was some um, uh, short covering or uh, people buying that dip, but it doesn't necessarily last. And I think the jury's still out there, but one of the things that we're watching is historically, when you've seen these rebounds, coming off of these bear market lows it's been associated with uh with the fed uh loosening it or easing policy and we know that this is kind of stands out as as the outlier in that the fed is still in a tightening mode and and arguably kind of in the middle of a tightening cycle right and so it tells you that maybe we haven't seen all of this fully priced in yet. We don't know what kind of an impact this will have on the economy. We're still looking at a lot of data, which I'd say is mixed at best and probably pointing towards a uh, um, you know less favorable, right? Um, so I, I think that uh, we, we'd expect this kind of volatility to, to continue here in the weeks to come. as just the market tries to find its way and it's digesting all of these uh, new data points as we get them.
2: It's interesting because I do a consumer education podcast and the vibe there or the feeling there, it's its about recession versus inflation. There's a fight going on and people are not really quite deciding which direction we're going to go. Um, you're obviously way above me in the uh, relationships that you have with portfolio strategies and uh, working with clients per se, but the average person, they seem to be Okay, but CEOs seem to be a little bit freaked out right now. Um, earnings season is wrapped up. I think we've got about 95% reported, past commentary from you, that it went better than expected. Um, but 18% of CEOs think we're in a recession right now. 79% of CEOs think we're going to be in a recession in the next 18 months. A little bit of math on a an abacus, and that tells me that's 97% of CEOs. That sounds like a harbinger of bad things to come. Should we be worried?
3: Well, look. I mean, I think that's so important because as we've seen the markets rise here, I, I think we we notice this disconnect between market sentiment or investor sentiment and and a public sentiment, and and that includes just individuals as well as uh, businesses. We know that confidence is still quite low, and so how can you see the market? How can you? justify the market uh, rebounding the way it has and and i would say that yeah i mean you know, a lot of these things can be self-fulfilling whether it's uh low uh, consumer sentiment or business sentiment they change their behaviors their activities in anticipation of um economic softening and so you know i i think that we should take note of these trends you know this morning i i saw a um uh, a, a news article that said that uh, Ford just announced uh, 3,000 job cuts. I saw a PwC survey uh, last week. Uh, it was it was conducted in the first week of August, in, in which uh, 50% of these large businesses in the U.S. are um, saying that they're reducing headcount, and so we see that a, a lot of uh, businesses, even if it's not necessarily reflected in the data just yet. Are changing their activities in anticipation of, of this upcoming weakness, because we know this, this policy tightening, it, it happens with a lag. And so even though the Fed has announced a number of these rate hikes and, and pretty aggressive ones at that at 75 basis points, the impact hasn't been seen on the economy just yet, And I, and I think that uh, maybe consumers and businesses to your point are taking a look around. They're seeing that maybe, peak, uh, we, maybe we've seen peak inflation, but inflation is not returning to normal. Uh, anytime soon? Know that the Fed is is still hell bent on tight. Uh, yeah, absolutely. This is something we want to keep in mind here in the months to come.
2: Hell bent in the Grand Tetons. The Federal Reserve is going to Jackson Hole Economic Summit this week. I think it's Friday, roughly at about 10 a.m. I could be wrong with that time. We'll get a speech from Fed Chairman Jerome Powell. What can we expect? Are we closer to the peak in interest rate hikes, or we don't know yet?
3: You know i I would expect that the uh, J Powell to come in and and really just say that the Fed's job is not over yet. Um, uh-huh. I I don't think he wants to put himself into a corner here where he's saying that there's uh, this is there is a certain point in time in which they're going to start loosening up on policy. Or, or scaling back a little bit on, on this tightening. I think that he's made it clear that they are going to be data dependent, but he's also looking around and saying, okay, we know some economic measures are moving in the wrong direction, but at the same time, inflation is still measuring at about 8.5% year over year. And so their job is not done yet. You know, They they really do need to um, get a handle on this inflation. I think the, the worst thing that they can do is stop tightening uh, too early, and then realize inflation is getting away from them again, and then and then uh, go back and try to correct course. I think history has shown that that does not work, and it'll only uh, undermine the credibility of the Fed. And that's something that they're really still trying to restore, right? At, at Jackson Hole, last year, when Powell spoke, he was talking about how he thought inflation was going to be transitory, meaning right. it, it wasn't going to last too long. They didn't need to um, announce any major policy changes here, because it, it would take care of itself. Uh, and so, obviously, that did not turn out to be correct. And so, he needs to make sure that he he plays it safe here. Uh, but but I think that the risk is still not doing enough. Um, I, I think he you know what they want to do is make sure that they, they they do plenty. And and the reality is they can't have it both ways. I, I think that. Sure, we're all hoping for a soft economic landing, but I think priority one has to be getting inflation under control. And and uh, if we need to see a little bit of economic weakness as a result of that, then I, I think that's just the reality. And and I think he needs to be clear about that—that that it's really about re- restoring price stability here. I think it's been—it's important to note uh, just in the last couple of weeks, some of the FOMC participants, so the Fed participants that are responsible for voting uh, at at these meetings. Um, they're, they're talking about uh, how they're really um, turning more hawkish as well, meaning that they are in favor of, of this ongoing tightening. You know, Mary Daly, uh, San Francisco Fed president, said last week she sees the neutral F- F- Fed funds rate at about three percent. Right now, the Fed funds rate is about two 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 and a half percent. So what does that say? It says that where the Fed, Fed funds rate still sits, it's still implying that uh, policy is is too accommodative that they aren't actually tightening just yet. That would be closer to 3%. And so it tells you there's still a ways to go here in her mind. Neil Kashkari, another one who is generally seen as, as being one of the more dovish um, uh, uh, among the Fed members, meaning that he um, is not generally in favor of aggressive hikes. He'd like to kind of see things restore themselves and, and not uh, uh, not hellbent, say, on, on fighting inflation, Right. He's changed his tune uh, quite a bit. And he says the Fed is nowhere near um, uh, is nowhere near uh, done in this tightening phase. And so I think that's really just goes to help set expectations among investors, among the markets. And uh, I, I would think that in the coming weeks, if they kind of stick to that script, you're going to see the markets start to price that in a little bit.
2: One final thought for you and respond how you will. Um, a lot of what we're talking about is a process, job cuts, uh, June lows, will they hold? Fed, will they be too aggressive? It's kind of a process to get to a market bottom and start a new economic cycle. I don't know if this is a fair question. Do you think we're closer? Because we're six, seven, eight months into this now where it's no longer transitory, where that was last year's story. This year's story is that it's been an aggressive fight. Where are we in this process? I'm not saying give me a date,
3: because I know that's yeah. silly. Um,
2: yeah. But and, and add any other color that you want to the process of putting a bottom in the process yeah. of a new economic cycle.
3: I think it's a fair question. I think if you look at the calendar, it would tell you this process, um, which is great. I mean, I I still, you know, I I look to, you know, inflation, which I said is still at eight and a half percent year over year. You would hope that by this time inflation was starting to normalize a little bit more, but I think we've all kind of just uh reset our expectations here. So it's gonna take some time. Uh but I think that, you know, we are we're getting answers to these questions you know every week right that the data is just rolling in some of it is more timely uh, than than others right and so initial jobless claims something that we look at for uh, initial claims on on, on uh, unemployment uh, that comes out weekly we know some of the other data only comes out monthly uh, some comes out quarterly and so not all, not all of it uh, is uh, is quite as timely uh, as the rest and so I, I think we want to look at this uh, as a group here. Uh, but I think that we are making some progress i think number the the question right now is really how aggressive does the fed uh end up having to be to really restore this uh normal um, rate of price growth here in the economy, and what is the impact of that of those policy adjustments on the economy? I think that's really the million dollar question everyone is trying to find the answer to but it's not gonna uh it's not gonna come to us overnight uh, it, it's really it is a process we're gonna you know the the hard part is that policy does act with a lag, and so we we won't really know uh, the impact of all of these policy changes on the economy for several months to come. And so I think that's why we just we have these weekly updates and talks with each other, uh, and uh, and continue to just look at the data as as it comes in.
2: It's fun talking to you about this, your market strategist, your director of portfolio strategy, Adam Phillips, CFP, CFA with EP Wealth. I'm Rob Black for EP Wealth Advisors, informed investor market update. Good day.